0: Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker. Through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscape of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through, or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Karsten Oliver, a multi-sport professional athlete, environmental advocate, and self-proclaimed hot sauce weirdo. We talked about him being uncomfortable with self-promotion in social media, having a tinkering mindset, and the value of being prepared. Good afternoon, Karsten. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Aaron? Fantastic. Thanks for joining the show and uh, excited to talk about all sorts of things with you today. And uh, first and foremost, you're in Salt Lake and wondering how has the skiing been?
1: Um, As of late, it's been awesome. Um, We had a really slow start to the season and had early snow and then high pressure for like a month and a half. Um, So then once we finally got snow, it was Really high avalanche danger, and was we're pretty much tiptoeing around until the last couple of weeks. Really, we finally got a whole lot of snow buried, kind of those layers of concern really deep, and now things are finally kind of opening up a bit here. We're in a little bit of a high pressure, but uh, we at least have a setup, so the rest of the season should should uh, be a lot better than the start was.
0: It's been crazy across almost all the states, it feels like with so many unfortunate deaths and a uh, scary snowpack everywhere, it seems so, um, glad you guys are safe. And, uh, did you wind up doing any biking in the desert or any, uh, escaping, uh, the snow for, for other locales?
1: Um, yeah, earlier in the year, like December and January, I had a couple little escapes up to the Northwest. Um, it seemed like Mount Baker at that time was kind of the only place in the western U.S. that didn't have a terrifying snowpack and actually had like a reasonable amount of snow Um, so I managed to get up there and do both some biking and some skiing um, and then came back here in time for a ton of snow and to watch the mountains kind of eat themselves for a few days and now things are kind of finally stabilizing and I think we're sitting pretty.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. And speaking of eating things, I want to thank you again for sending me as a Christmas present, a bottle of the spicy magic sauce. Uh, It is unbelievably delicious. So anyone out there who does not know that Karsten is also a hot sauce maker should dig into his his stuff. It is delightful. And uh, on that note, I affectionately call you uh, the quiet crusher in the sense that for all of the things that you do, biking, skiing, hot sauce making, and actually I think there's a bunch of other things we should probably talk about that maybe folks don't know about, but you have this, this demeanor that I wouldn't say is reserved, but it's on the quieter side. It's definitely not on the up in your face, self promoter, et cetera, et cetera yet you are you know top of your game in lots of different parts of life so what's it like to to sort of be in this space of pro athlete across a couple different sports and and how do you approach your career if you know that constant broadcasting of yourself is not part of your day to day
1: um i mean for me really like the focus was always just on doing the thing, not on promoting myself or promoting what I was doing. And fortunately I got into the ski game before social media was like a super huge thing. So um, we were reliant more on like getting shots in magazines and having movie parts, and then um, did a lot of work with product designers with the brands I was working with and sort of had added value there and as the whole like constant update constantly promoting yourself social media things started to come into play um I dabbled a little bit but I've always been more kind of like the let the action speak not not speak for myself you know like I'd rather just go ski and do things and hope people recognize what I'm doing and if not like whatever, I don't care. I'm having those experiences and I'm sharing them with other people who are out there in the mountains with me. Like that's always been the priority. Um, But like, I could kind of see the social media thing coming down the pipe. And I sort of made a point right out the get go to, to never make that a requirement with any of the contracts, with any of the brands I work with, or with any of the companies I was working with, just because I am so uncomfortable with self-promotion. And in a lot of ways for me, it takes away from that focus on what I'm actually doing and on being good at the actual task to be putting so much time and energy into just like talking about it. Um, So by kind of setting that precedent out the gate and being firm about following through that with that over the years, I've managed to kind of keep this little bit un, more under the radar profile as so far as social media is concerned. But I'm still getting shots in magazines, I'm still have video parts, I'm still working with designers to help improve the product. So, like, I just focus on the value to those brands I work with in coming from other places, essentially.
0: How'd those conversations go when it was time to finalize those contracts, you know, in terms of pushback you got or, or support, obviously it worked out, uh, but but what was it like to engage with the, with the companies in that way?
1: I mean, fortunately, since I started doing it so early in the game before it was. Like kind of standard for every single contract to have like X number of social media posts is really easy to say like, Hey, this is extra work. And it distracts from all the other things I'm doing. So unless there's additional compensation for that, like I would rather not add that into the agreements that we've had from previous years. Um, And, you know, some brands get it more than others. um, But like beyond just the added work, like I do have, like, a very skeptical view of social media, kind of always have. And, like, there are, like, it's a valuable tool in a lot of ways, and people who do it well, it's great. But, like, there are various, like, both personal and, like, societal-wide, like, psychological consequences to over-engagement with it. And I've always, like, kind of tried to keep it at arm's length just for those reasons. And most people get it. Like, you just have to talk to them about it.
0: I like... I like that. The stance is is different and unique. And I also, you know, taking a stand for what you believe in and and finding partners that can support that, that's that's universal across all sorts of parts of life. So that's great. And and it sounds like you add value to the companies in, in these other ways too. So so you were mentioning about product design and input and testing, et cetera. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Um, yeah, so with a few of the brands I work with, I've, I kind of keep really close in touch with a lot of the designers, like, um, you know, me through Patagonia and they have always had a really in-depth product testing program, um, both as far as new stuff that's coming out for next year and like, just like fabric tests and like all these other things for things that might be, you know, several years down the road. And like when I saw that they had that aspect of the brand. It was like, I have sort of a tinkering mind. Like I always play with gear. Like I want to be involved where I can with that. And they're really good about trying to get whatever of their athletes and ambassadors who want to be involved with that test program as embedded with it as they can. Because like the people who are actually using the gear and beating it up um, every single day can really give some valuable feedback. And then as far as like some other brands, uh, I've been working with Moment Skis for more than a decade, um, probably 12 years now. And um, they're kind of a cool little company uh, because everything they do is in-house, like from the lumber mill for the core, basically everything is done at their factory in Reno. So there's a lot of ability to go out there and kind of play with things and try new skis. And they're um, very open to just weird ideas and they're never afraid to just kind of try stuff. Um, so a number of years ago, um, I would just in the summers go out and like visit the factory and hang out with those guys. And, uh, we'd kind of kick around ski ideas and I basically just asked if I could build a ski for myself because I had something I wanted to try, but it wasn't in the line And they're like, yeah, cool. We can build whatever you want. Like, these are the dates that we have extra time. Um, So for a couple seasons, I just had my own kind of personal ski that I had built and designed and we just slapped the graphic of some other ski on it. Um, And then the first year that I didn't go back and change it, uh, those guys approached me like, hey, should we actually try selling that thing? Um, And so that... That became a ski that was actually in the line. And then um, a few other designs based around some of the concepts from that um, filled other niches within it. So uh, I've had kind of a cool relationship with those guys as well to be able to kind of take a concept and actually see it through and like test a bunch of versions of it and then see how they kind of take some of those ideas and make their own skis based around the, around the concept. So it's kind of fun.
0: Right, Alan. what was that model that was sort of the Carson Oliver signature ski?
1: Yeah, the first one that was my actual pro model was called the Chipotle Banana. Um, It was a super fat ski, like 122 underfoot with like a 34 meter radius, just like a charging ski. Um, But unlike a lot of those like really stiff big mountain chargers, it actually had a twin tip and a more, uh, and a less directional side cut, just because living where I do in the Wasatch, like it's really common to in the same day, go ski some big steep thing in the morning, and then I'm building a kicker in the afternoon or something. And there were very few skis that were built to do both of those things. Um, so I wanted to build something for that. Um, and then the thing that made it kind of unique, So basically took the side cut radius and flipped that 90 degrees to make that the rocker profile. Um, So by doing that, you could have a fully rockered ski that's super loose and pivoting and playful. Um, But when you roll it onto edge, you can actually engage the whole length of the ski and have something that actually has some meat to it. And you can dig it and ski it like a big charger. and then some offshoots of that were like a narrower waisted version um, where we actually even made the rocker profile slightly longer radius than the side cut. So you'd get a little quicker engagement because it's made for harder snow conditions um, and then sort of an in-between model as well.
0: Very cool. And you touched on the fact that you've always been a tinker and you have that mind and you know whether that's skis or bikes or hot sauce talk to me a little bit about what other things you get your hands into and and maybe projects or the way you spend your time that maybe we wouldn't even associate with you know pro athlete
1: um yeah so i've kind of always had that tinkering mindset and like as far as gear is concerned like growing up i've couldn't always get the nicest stuff but i would just get whatever i could afford and then modify it to make it work better um give and, me an example uh just like totally rebuilding like shock mounts on like a shitty uh walmart diamondback so it could actually run like real suspension and big tires and things <laughs> or um when i was like skateboarding a lot and like racing longboards a bit like hand building like slide gloves out of like ultra high density plastics and things for as opposed to like going and buying them and um, adding different like compression straps and things to backpacks to make them sit more quietly on your back when you're actually skiing and jumping and you know the whole gamut really Um, and yeah I don't know that that sort of mindset also s- drove what I ended up pursuing in school to a certain degree. Like I went to the university of Utah for mechanical engineering. Um, I didn't finish cause I got very distracted by mountains and skiing, but it at least allowed me to like further, further develop some of that skill Um, and also kind of keep my finger in other worlds outside of sport. Cause like obviously, like, it's really easy for this stuff to end very quickly, you can get hurt, or brands can fold, or like, whatever, like, it's not a forever thing. Um, So you have to have other means to, to kind of get by in between and be able to shift focus. So like, while I was in school, I was also working for the architecture department at the university, um, in their fabrication shop, they like to employ engineering students there to help the architecture students build stuff that would actually like stay up. Um, and I was also working for some of my dad's buddies, uh, working on, um, like, uh, various like hydraulic machinery. Um, another one of his buddies I worked for for a while did, uh, conversions to make normal gasoline vehicles run on compressed natural gas. Um, so like, sort of always keep my finger and kind of other little pies. So I have something else to do, whether it's cause I get hurt and I need to bring in money for some other reason, or, you know, the snow's terrible, it's a bad year or just to like have a little more freedom to not be so reliant on like doing things for a brand in order to go skiing, but actually be able to make some money elsewhere and kind of make it work. So, it's kind of be been this balancing of two very different worlds.
0: Yeah, that multi-dimensionality of, of living life is crucial. And one of the reasons I created this podcast is to, to hear from people who who live their lives from seemingly very disparate places, but are able to succeed across all these different platforms and to and to have it all housed within one life. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you have all those parts of you and that you stay true to your values and you, you know, you, you have the flexibility and the adaptability on some things, but others are just, you know, not up for, not up for negotiation or debate. And, uh, and also just the, the, the presence, you know, the, the lack of, you know, desire for the spotlight. And I think that's refreshing and not that that's everybody's path, but I think for people to know that you can be successful and you can be, um, you know, there's a path, uh, for you if you don't want to do it, like everybody is doing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the beautiful things in this world is like, you really can kind of do whatever you want. Like there's, you have to be kind of nimble and be able to problem solve a bit to, to make certain things happen, but like no one's really making you do anything. So there's always a way to kind of balance things and figure it out.
0: Yeah. Assertiveness and agency is, you know, they're critical for happiness and sometimes we forget how much power we actually hold. And I love it that even in this conversation, I learned something, I had no idea that you used to raise longboards. And I feel like every time I talk to you, which, you know, I've known you for a couple of years, both on the personal and professional side of things, but uh, you continue to fit my nickname of the quiet crusher because every time we talk, you sneak something new in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of weird stuff. I think, I think a lot of that too comes from just like, I don't necessarily attach my identity to the things that I do. Like they're all they all contribute to who I am, but they aren't necessarily who I am. So whenever I get interested in something, I'm not afraid to just kind of take some time and figure it out and like go as far down that rabbit hole as I need to, to feel like I can get something out of it. And like, you can always go back to everything else too. So um, yeah, there's a lot of random things that I've done.
0: That ability to know yourself outside of what you do or what others label you have, I think is so important for happiness because time and time again, you hear about athletes or, you know, uh, famous people or some person who's achieved some measure of success in their, in their life. And then that all stops for whatever reason. And, and then they're left with wondering, you know, who they are and what they're all about because they have attached themselves to that. And I think, you know, being able to, to keep it separate or to parse it apart. And, you know, maybe if you didn't do a great job of that, the ability to, to recalibrate and to stop and go, all right, well, how, who am I now? Or who have I always been? And and then reconnect with that, I think is really, really important. Otherwise you fall pretty, pretty deep into a hole.
1: Definitely. Yeah. No, like you, you see it all the time. People, suddenly can't do the things that they've always done. And it, it's, uh, it becomes like a real identity crisis sort of thing. Um, but yeah, just learning that you can always shift focus and like, you can always come back to things like it often comes around. And if not, that's okay. Like there's other stuff you can go do and like find the same level of like joy and fulfillment and like interest, you know, like, that adaptability just makes a lot of things a lot easier
0: and certain things build upon each other or are the precursors to things that you'll later get into that you would have never predicted was the sort of secret sauce to get you there. So when you think about the variety of things you're up to, anything that jumps out that fits that description, where it was like you would have never connected thing a with, thing z down the line but but something along the way that you learned was the exact bridge you need to get there
1: um yeah there's actually been a few of those things um uh i'd say kind of maybe the best example of sort of bringing together all these different skill sets and worlds kind of all in one place um I've, I've known a lot of the guys over at Sweetgrass Productions for a long time. Like I actually went to high school with some of them, and a lot of um, the first ski films I was in were movies that they made. Um, but then a number of years down the line, like a couple years ago, they had had quite a bit of success with these really creative uh, shorts that they did. Um, that were like all at night, they were they were like contract gigs for Philips TVs. Like they're just supposed to be really colorful for some like weird TV where the color would like glow on the side of it. And it was just um, basically they had made um, these really psychedelic, crazy looking night films. They did a ski one, a surf one and a mountain bike one. And um, they basically got approached after some of those uh, because randomly this uh chinese action film director had seen one of those sequences and wanted something in his movie that looked just like that ski film um if if you if people want to see it uh look up afterglow for the the, like the original sweetgrass short um but they just wanted to recreate with snowboarders so i got hired on as a quote-unquote mountain tech um Cause it was basically this full-on like multi-million dollar Hollywood shoot for like 90 seconds of footage. Um, but we're in the middle of nowhere in this like heli lodge in Canada. And my job was basically to go in beforehand, help the actual mountain guides like set a bunch of boot packs, cut cornices, like get everything safe so that like Hollywood lighting guys don't go tomahawking off a ridge in the middle of the night. Um, and then help like rig things up to get like all these lights into place like you know we had like 10,000 watt lights like basically had like a second sun to light things up and had to get all these other small like lights to um fill in things and so they're up on ridge lines like strapped to cliffs and like in all these precarious places Um, so we're getting those done and then while the shoot was going on basically just had to like run around and troubleshoot everything because it's all like equipment that isn't designed to be out in the weather, out in the cold, and it's constantly breaking down. So like me and the two other guys in that position who have similarly like diverse skill sets and are really strong in the mountains, as well as like have a lot of technical skills, like we're just like fixing generators that had died and are running these lights and it sucked in a bunch of snow and like blown up the intake and, or like one of the light suits that one of the riders was in was miswired and caught on fire. So we're like rewiring this thing in the middle of the night (laughs) to try to like get this shoot to happen. So it was this crazy collision of like all the experience from skiing, all the safety stuff to make like the more remote skiing that I've done happen as well as like the, the technical skills to fix everything from generators to snowmobiles to lighting equipment um, and just sort of kind of help keep the wheels on the bus on this like really quick like high pressure shoot
0: did you like that whole experience uh it was it was really cool
1: after the fact in in the middle of it it was just kind of chaos but we made it work. So I'm glad I did it. Um, there, it it had its ups and downs. We'll put it that way. Um, but I ended up doing two of those, like I helped with their final of those original Phillips shoots, the mountain bike one, and then the like redo of the snow one for random Chinese director
0: (laughs) and kind of related to that chaos. You know, as a guy who seemingly just stays pretty mellow, at least, you know, visually talking to you, you know, not to say you don't have your internal ups and downs and and a whole host of feelings inside, but on the surface, you seem so measured and so calm. So I guess two questions. One, are you really wired like that? Because I do know there's a lot of athletes, especially ones that are in high risk sports, who just physiologically, they just don't get that wound up. So that's what they're able to stay cool in those really hectic positions. And then I guess, secondarily, what does really fire you up? Like what, where do you kind of, uh, what are your triggers or your hot points? Um, huh. All right.
1: I would, I would say in general, yes, I am kind of wired that way. Like I can generally keep it pretty cool for the most part. Um, but like I'm human. Everybody's susceptible to those things. Everyone gets wound up at some point. Um, And I found for me really, it's more just being aware of like when I'm setting myself up to not be able to keep it cool. Like it, if I don't have time to like sort of feel prepared for things or I like haven't gotten nearly enough exercise or like, have gone way too long without sleep, like, like those basic kind of like hygiene things that help you kind of set yourself up f- for success. Like when I don't have the room to take care of those, I definitely get a little like shorter fuse and it's easier to get wound up, but it's also, you can kind of predict that and then try to sneak those things in quickly wherever you can. Um, so yeah, I think in a lot of those things, it's partially just like exposure to kind of high stress, high speeds situations. Like you get better at just kind of like stepping back and thinking through them. But uh, on top of that, it's more just like knowing yourself and trying to like get ahead of those the, those things that will set you off whenever you can.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the self-awareness and the self-management that kind of fall under that umbrella of emotional intelligence. Those are, those are the fundamentals. And then uh, you can't do too much with other people uh, if you haven't buttoned yourself up. Totally. Yeah. So you you just focus
1: on the things you can control and like anything that you can't, like you just kind of have to roll with it. But as, as long as you feel like you've controlled what you can and like manage that, it makes it easier to kind of deal with, the unpredictable things that come your way.
0: So tying it back to how versatile and interested you are in so many different things, you talked a little bit about just the value of prepping and, or being prepared. What happens when you don't have that? Maybe you're, you're rested, you've gotten your exercise, but that, that prep is impossible because it's a brand new thing. Um, how, what's your process like? to stay calm, to succeed, or, or maybe not completely succeed but have some measure of success moving forward with a, with something brand new that comes out of the blue.
1: Um, I mean, if, if all those other basic things are sort of taken care of, like you, it, I don't know how to really answer that without a specific example. It's, it's kind of the classic, it depends, but you just kind of do the best with what you've got, like um, usually I can draw some sort of connection to some other experience I have that's like kind of similar and at least work within that space. But more than anything, just tell people around me, like, I don't know, like, this is new to me. Like, what do you know? Like, what do you see that I don't? And I'm just like, I'm not scared to ask for help and not scared to admit that I don't know things. Um, like certainly if there's nothing there, like, You just kind of have to slow down, breathe and figure it out. But if there's anyone else around that I can kind of draw from and like sort of get myself up to speed a little quicker by picking their brain or like watching what they do or whatever it is like that, that's kind of step one. If it's a totally new realm.
0: I see that a ton with leaders that I get to work with across, across industries is that that those are who, excuse me, those who are most successful at whatever level are able to make those asks of people and to, to check in with others who they put around them because they have expertise and skill and have the humility and the empathy to understand their role and that connecting and asking and and not knowing those are not signs of weakness, you know, it's what you do with it. And it is sign of a strong leader and a, and a, and a real clear person who can, in those moments, not always look for feedback or participation, but know when that is useful and, and not be afraid to go there.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with saying like, Hey, I don't know. Like, what do you know? What, what can you contribute? Cause like in most instances, like everyone has something they can bring to the table. Like whether whether it's something that you do feel really dialed in and you feel like you're an expert or whatever, there are people from all levels who have some different little way of approaching things that like it can be valuable. Like, you know, every, everybody's input matters in most cases.
0: For sure. And uh, what other surprises in terms of interests or things that you've been up to that you could share with us so we have skiing we have gut biking we've got former skateboarding longboard racer, we've got uh <laughs> playing around with hydraulics as a as a budding engineer uh we've got hot sauce maker what else would would someone who didn't know you super deeply uh be surprised to hear um i don't know
1: um food I, I definitely geek out really hard on food. Um, growing up, like my parents always had a big garden. And ever since I moved out of the house, I've always had a huge garden too. And, you know, have like chickens and things because that whole ecosystem kind of helps that all thrive and just sort of being aware of where my food comes from. And I enjoy cooking and I enjoy like sharing that sort of experience around um this sort of basic need, like everyone's got to eat and what you put in your body very, very truly like becomes you. Like it's what you're actually built out of. Um, so having some degree of control over that and then having an ability to just like play with stuff that tastes good and I can share, um, and sort of just a little bit of built in restriction of just like whatever is around to kind of help uh you know give give a little constraint to be creative with whatever there is and I don't know it's it's fun I, I love cooking and I love growing food um so it's you know it's March right now I was just looking outside actually like little garlic starting to pop up and it's probably time to order seeds and get you know peppers for hot sauce all started and tomatoes and things get all the starts going for the year um so yeah, outside of all of that, there's there's always like a little garden in the back where you can pull from, and I love to share whatever comes out of there.
0: Yeah, outside of of gifting hot sauces to people like me, and uh, and probably cooking some great dinners for the for the friends and fam. Any interest in ever pursuing that on a on a bigger, grander scale?
1: Um, possibly, possibly, like. I've dabbled a little bit with the hot sauce. Like uh, that pro model ski we were talking about earlier, the Chipotle banana, the year that was released, the first 30 pre-orders came with a bottle of hot sauce. Um, And like the the coffee shop up at Brighton Ski Resort, like I always give them a big, huge bottle for the back of the shop and they use it on all their little like sandwiches and um, all the food that they sell there along with the coffee. I've done like random short-term little cooking gigs. Like um, one of my buddies is uh, the director of the Glen Canyon Institute. Um, They basically fund uh, scientific research on like the Colorado River and are like advocate smart science-based water policy. And like a few years ago, they did a big bio blitz with a bunch of scientists um, down by Glen Canyon just to sort of catalog what uh life had come back in the parts of the canyon that have been out of the water for 20 years or so um and I was basically like camp chef for a group of like 30 scientists for like what was it four or five days so that was kind of fun um occasionally get like hired to cook like a big huge like Japanese dinner or something for friends who are having a big party or something so I don't know like All of that stuff I could pursue it more. Like it would be kind of fun to actually build out the hot sauce brand or like find some funny little restaurant space, but I also mostly do it for fun and I don't want to kind of ruin it by having to do it all the time. So unless I can find some weird way to only have to do it like certain times, I I I don't I don't know that I would actually pursue it.
0: Yeah. Sometimes when it becomes a a job, the, the fund is gone. So, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, just dawn on me when you were talking about the Glen Canyon experience, you know, you've done some advocacy work, some, some speaking or some advocating across a couple different, uh, platforms over this last year or two. And, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about just high level, what those, what those areas were that you were uh, kind of pushing for change on, and then also what it was like to, to step into that realm as a, as an advocate for change and and what you had to do to, you know, um, stretch yourself or challenges you had uh, along the way on that path.
1: Um, Yeah. So I've done a little bit of like kind of advocacy and, I don't know about if I would call it activism so much as just actually kind of giving a shit about what happens in the places I like to play and just feeling like it's something that most of us should do if we actually care. Um, uh, But at any rate, there's there's been some really kind of fun, easy stuff just because it's had a lot of community support. Um, I do a lot of work Uh, like trail building and working on like the I street dirt jumps and um, along with a whole bunch of other people who've spent a lot of time up there and a lot have put a lot of time into the trails. Like a number of years ago, we all kind of got together and got Salt Lake city to actually officially approve a few of these uh, sort of local dirt jump spots and trails in the foothills. Um, Just because over the years there have been times when you know, someone g- would get hurt or some, there some complaint would come up and there was threat of those uh, getting bulldozed or torn down or shut down in some way, shape or form. But the reality is like most people here ride bikes and like parents teach their kids to ride at these places. And it, it really is a community asset. So we basically got together and showed the city, like how much support the community has for the those places and because of that over the last several years the city is now like fully supportive of trail projects in the foothills and they've totally redone the master plan and they're like putting in a whole bunch of directional bike trails and like hiking only trails and just like making a lot more places for like kind of like nearby easy places for people to play available um just because there is like an increase in use of all of that stuff and the city kind of sees the value in um, being able to spread people out and give people that place to play, um, and keeping those places around, um, moving forward. So that's, that been really fun. Um, and then there's also been, uh, this attempt to kind of manage the very like busy, diverse ecosystem that is the, the Cottonwood Canyons and the central Losatch um just because you have this crazy collision of like full on wilderness um immediately next to like a city with a couple million people and at the top of those canyons where you're on forest service land you have ski resorts so there and on top of that it's also watershed for the city um so and, and it's a uh, basically tri-canyon area gets as much visitation per year as all five national parks in utah combined Um, so there's like a whole lot of different uh different people who want have some stake in what's going on up there and a number of years ago there's this uh basically this process called the mountain accord where they're attempting to create like a long-term plan to manage the canyons to where you're not degrading the natural resource that's there, but you're still allowing the ski resorts to have their business and like grow and develop and have places for people to hike and bike and ski and like balance that with recreationalists and not overwhelm the neighborhoods that are up there and still have some sort of like reasonable roadway to get people up into those places. It's this whole complicated mess. Um, but it, it basically had come to this point where after they went through this like process to kind of get a plan um, they were looking at creating sort of a new land designation for the upper part of the cottonwoods for all that stuff that is on forest service but isn't wilderness like the lower part of can- the canyon um, and it, it ostensibly would take the current forest service management plan because it's has a pretty good balance of Kind of keeping the ski areas relative relegated to the areas that they have to use and like keep their growth within that limited space um, keep the watershed well protected uh, um, and keep those like spaces that aren't full-on wilderness but are outside of the ski areas um, within like a slightly higher protected status than just like your sort of like loose National Forest BLM sort of designation, where it's still like non-motorized, like, it's like a little bit better, like natural resource management, but you still can, you know, ride a bike through there, because that's one of the classic uses, usages. Um,
0: Yeah, you, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, I just want to draw this parallel with... You know, being able to make change and be an advocate and to and to do it in a way that feels right to to your core. And, you know, there's folks that that feels right to them to be on social media or it's to be, you know, on the steps of the government or someone like you who it's do the things in the backyard that you give a shit about. And um that you feel compelled that that strike chords with you and, and, and you don't need to draw a ton of spotlight to it, but it creates a a change just as valuable. So I think that's a, that's a really important thing for people to hear that, you know, and I don't think it's, it's a little cliche. I can, it can be these small changes, but you know, as you just described, even things that seemingly small, I mean, they're can be hyperly complicated with many stakeholders with many different, uh, values and needs. And and it's not easy work, but I think when, when you folks find the thing that really strikes a chord with them, they stick with the projects, whether it's the garden in the backyard or whether it is the, you know, the project you're describing. So um, that's, that's amazing. And then, you know, as we kind of wind down a little bit in this, in this chat, what did you learn about yourself, you know, in that, in this sort of advocacy or giving a shit space right you know there's obviously this athletic you there's the there's the tinker you there's the um you know the the cooking in 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 food you but this other side of you what what did you notice about yourself or uh, how were you pushed to grow um yeah first
1: of all thank you for stopping me on the like rant trying to explain this overly complicated issue um But yeah, to bring that sort of all back around. um, I mean, a lot of that stuff, the whole impetus was just kind of to give back. Um, Like, I feel very lucky to have grown up where I did and have had access to these places to like recreate and to be out in nature and to sort of like learn and grow through like time spent outside. And it was all motivated by just trying to like make sure that people who are getting into that now, and people who are getting into it 10 years down the road still have access to those same things. Um, And through that, it it was kind of learning that, like when you see a problem or an issue or a space where something isn't quite being addressed or you feel like you have something meaningful to contribute, like that's when you can speak up. And like, I'm generally the quiet type, but like, if you just get involved and show up and like try to listen to people who might have a different view of it from you, but like bring your perspective to it and realize that, you know, most people kind of have similar motivations. They just might have a slightly different vision of what that looks like moving forward. Um, That that you can actually sort of have like meaningful conversations and, and find a right balance to like, protect these places and let people do what they need to do there like and find like the right compromises um and yeah to to sort of finish that uh, snow one with the canyons at the end of all of that uh complicated process there was basically just i was seeing that some of the environmental groups and backcountry groups we're constantly holding a really hard line on one side of the issue and the ski resorts and like business developments and like real estate developments were kind of like holding a really hard line on another. Um, And they were kind of ignoring the fact that most of the people who actually use and recreate in these places are somewhere in the middle and kind of see value in both like the resort experience and the like dispersed recreation kind of more wild experience. And just, sort of tried to act as a go-between in some of these conversations and like just bring a few more people to the table to kind of have that like middle ground view um to be honest that whole thing is still in the works and it's still a mess so I don't know how good it did but at least it like really challenged me to have conversations like directly with managers of some of the ski resorts um as well as like directly with like leaders of some of these environmental groups and like try to bring like both views to the table and try to get things to kind of balance out um we'll see how it all actually shakes out but i i never really envisioned myself having any of those kind of like tougher conversations with any folks like that so it it was a big stretch just to like sort of throw my hat in the ring to to some degree and I don't know, I've kind of gone in and out as far as how inv- involved I've stayed over the years because there's only so much time to do all the things, but certainly when whenever there's a point where it seems things need a little extra boost, I try to jump in there.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, you talked throughout our conversation today about the the value of both just jumping in and, and doing and trying and, and creating something that maybe no one else has considered was possible so whether it's you know going out and buying your own gloves for skateboarding or just making your own or you know pitching the contract that works for you to these companies that um, maybe nobody else was wanting to do and and hearing a yes and the idea that you know to carve those new paths to break those new trails you have to be willing to not only believe in yourself but also believe that it's possible and connect things that you know seemingly other people wouldn't connect and and to sort of not just be self-focused but to see the value of you know there's infinite that we can infinite amount that we can learn and other people around us play a pretty big role in in keeping us moving forward uh, on those trails that we maybe initially broke
1: totally yeah and um there's a lot to be said for just like checking to make sure that your, your motivations are not solely like around yourself and that you're trying to involve the other people who are at the table. And I mean, whether it goes the way you hope it will or not, like at least you tried, you know, like nothing's going to happen if you don't at least give it a shot.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the ability to and willingness to break a trail in another direction, it, sometimes to strike gold and sometimes you'll be, Uh, hung up on the on the edge and sometimes you'll be deep in the hole but but that's part of the that's part of the joy of the whole process so Carson I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to join me and have a a pretty rich talk I hope others will enjoy and uh, all the best for the rest of your season and uh, get that garden growing and I hope that Oh, Mother mother, Winter dumps a whole bunch more snow on all of us uh, safely. So thanks for your time and uh, look forward to catching up soon.
1: Yeah, thanks a ton for having me.
0: Always good to catch up with you. Take care.